0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We are here today to talk about the finished work of Jesus Christ through His death and resurrection. And I'm excited to talk about this reality that He conquered sin and death and gives life to all who believe. but as we talk about that, I need to tell you something I saw the other day that was difficult to see. It was a guy talking about organization, and I can use a little help with organization. If anybody out there knows me, do not amend that, okay? And he was basically saying that people are born either neat or messy, and if you're messy, that's just a problem for you, and I was a little offended by that. I don't like the terms neat and messy. I prefer the terms organized And organic. And I would be on the more organic side of that. Organized people say there's a place for everything. Well, there's a place for everything in my office. It just moves sometimes. How many of you, you are either organic and you're married to an organized person or you're organized and you're married to an organic person? If that's you, you know the difficulty of that. And it requires a lot of patience on the part of those of us who are organic, my wife and I were talking about this the other day because she is very organized, and I, I said I feel like my office kind of has a natural feel. That's why it kind of looks organic. She said, no, it's organic because things are growing in it, honey. <laughs> Listen, this was a, a problem for me early on in life, though, because I didn't always finish things. I would start things and not complete them, like homework assignments and a variety of other things. But here's the reality. Today, we're going to talk about a God who always finishes what he starts. See, when God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't rest until he had finished. When Paul wrote his letter to the church at Philippi, he said, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. The Bible says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He told his disciples his food was to do the will of his father and to finish the work the father sent him to do. I'm glad that God doesn't choose us and save us and get tired of us. He gives eternal life to all who believe. He utterly transforms our lives and he keeps us in his love forever, even to eternal life. So today we're going to look at one phrase as Jesus utters that he's He says as he's dying for our sins, and we're going to look at it through that phrase, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One word in Greek, three words in English, it is finished, and this phrase rings with life. Throughout human history, even until now, it can ring with life for you. I want to read in the book of John, chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, another gospel writer says he cried in a loud voice, it is finished. finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Would you pray with me today? God, we thank you for these words, no truer words ever spoken. It is finished. We thank you for the work that Jesus did to die for sins, to raise and give us new life, to conquer sin and death through his death and to usher in new creation through his resurrection. And God, I pray that today this reality would hit us where we are in a life-altering way because of your Holy Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, John 19, 28 starts with after this. Well, what had happened to lead up to it is finished, which is the sixth of seven sayings Jesus made on the cross. So let's just briefly remember what those sayings are. The people who are crucifying him, they're mocking him. They're saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And Jesus looks out at them and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's in agony. He's been beaten His beard's been ripped out. He's been spit on and he looks and he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's been crucified between two thieves and one of them is mocking him. The other says, no, this is an innocent man. We deserve to be here. And he looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. All of Jesus' disciples have run away in fear except for one, his dear friend John. And John is standing next to Jesus' mother Mary watching what is happening. And Jesus, thinking about the two of them, says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. You're going to take care of one another. And then... Then he says something that's often quoted and I believe often misunderstood. He quotes Psalm 22, the first part of the first verse, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then after thinking of others, he says what we read in verse 28 He says, I thirst. They give him this sour wine, he drinks it, and then he says, What we're going to talk about today, it is finished. And then another gospel records that right after that, he says to God, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, it's an interesting progression of how this happens. Jesus on the cross, even to have the mental fortitude to speak anything other than cries of agony, starts with a cry to the Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's a cry for the forgiveness of many truly, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's a call for the forgiveness of one. And he looks at his mom and his friend, John, and he's reorienting the way family works. They're going to take care of one another because they're going to be in him when he goes away. And then he makes this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People do all kinds of strange things with this verse. Well, well, was God actually forsaking the Son? Were the Father and the Son in the Trinity becoming separate for this moment? I want to tell you today what I think was happening. We talked about this in staff meeting this week. I think what Jesus is doing is quoting a psalm and beginning a song. He's doing it on purpose. He picked this one on purpose. But rabbis would help people to begin worshiping in their villages through the day by starting the verse of a psalm i grew up in a church tradition where we had these books and there there were hymn books and sometimes someone might say turn to page 569 like we would say turn to psalm 22 but see when the hebrew psalter was written it didn't have chapters and verses those came hundreds of years after jesus was born Well, someone might say, turn to page 569, or they might say, hey, let's sing this song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And they'd quote the first line of the song, and then we would know it, and we could sing it because we had it memorized. Well, as you can imagine, psalm books didn't go around real easy. Most people had these songs memorized. It's in an oral culture, so a rabbi would cry out the first line of the song. And that's what Jesus does. Now, he picks this psalm on purpose. But he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out in a loud voice, and it echoes across Jerusalem. And the worshipers hear the rabbi speak the psalm of the day. Now, it's fascinating. This psalm was written a 1,000 years before Jesus was born. And it was written hundreds of years before Romans invented this most brutal act of execution that we call crucifixion. But in the psalm, he says, I'm scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Then verse 8 of Psalm 22 It says, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. The very words the religious leaders are saying as they mock him. The psalm goes on to say, they wag their mouths at me, all my bones are out of joint, my strength is dried up, my tongue sticks to my jaws. A company of evildoers encircles me, and then it says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. See, Psalm 22 was a messianic psalm, but it's telling the story of this good shepherd. It goes on to say, and in the end, the prosperous of the earth will bow down before him. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told Of the Lord to the coming generation, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Jesus is quoting the psalm. So they'll know and see this is him. He dies willingly. He's treated like a criminal, dying the death we deserve so that we could live in the love of God, the life that he deserved. He's taking our place, the punishment for our sins, so that God forgives our sins and declares us righteous as we trust in him. listen Jesus spent thirty three years on earth showing us that he was God coming near the book of John begins by telling us Jesus is the Word became flesh, God in the flesh, dwelling among us, a hundred percent God. But as we hear this psalm my god my god why have you forsaken me we begin to see he's also fully human and in this awful moment of desperation he cries out he says i thirst i thirst knowing these things were accomplished he says i thirst He's thinking of others, those who are crucifying him, those who are crucified next to him, his mother and his friend. And then near the end, he says, I thirst. And I think John records this so we can know his humanity, that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. You might hear the Easter story and say, yeah, that's all well and good, but nobody can really understand what I've been through, Chase. Nobody knows the pain I've walked through. And what I would say to you today is that the man Jesus of Nazareth does, he knows deep pain. He knows what it is to be deeply misunderstood. He knows what it is to be betrayed by those he loved most. He knows what it is to be abandoned and left alone. Pain comes into every life that's ever lived in the fallen world. Sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental, sometimes it's the pain of loss or the pain of grief or the pain of loneliness. And pain can destroy us, but pain can also teach us that we need help. And Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. He's been physically beaten beyond recognition. Roman soldiers have made a a crown out of these thick thorns and they've pressed it into his head. He's been spit upon. His beard has been ripped out. His robe has been ripped off. And then they've taken this Device, many of you know, this thing called the Cat of Nine Tails. It's a whip with nine strands. It's got a handle on it and at the end of each of the nine strands. They're shards of bone and metal. And 39 times, over and over and over, this is lashed across his back. He hasn't eaten or slept in over a day. And he says, I'm thirsty. I thirst. So they give him sour wine, and as he takes it in, his throat's bloody. He can taste his own blood, but it gives just enough to his parched mouth for him to make this loud cry It is finished. It's finished. It's the Greek word to telestai. It's done. Well, 53 years ago, a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a Soviet dissident for writing boldly, won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1970. He couldn't accept his award until 1974. And in his acceptance speech, one of the things he said was this. He said, one word of truth shall outweigh the whole world. Well, that's the sort of statement that sticks with you. It kind of goes with you along the way. Maybe you've experienced that. You heard something so powerful that you don't need to memorize it. It's stuck in your head. It's on your heart. Solzhenitsyn said, one truth, one word of truth outweighs the whole world. Well, Jesus' six words from the cross is just that. Three words in English, one word in Greek, telestai. It is finished it's perfect tense it's completed action that continues it ripples onward throughout history It's finished. One author says that when Jesus cried to Telestai, sin was atoned for, Satan was defeated and rendered powerless. Every requirement of God's righteous law has been satisfied. God's holy wrath against sin had been appeased. Every prophecy had been fulfilled. To Telestai is not the cry of a pitiful sufferer. It's the cry of a powerful Savior. It's accomplished. This word had lots of meanings. It's accomplished, it's performed, it's done. One of the most common was it's paid in full. If someone had a debt, when they finished paying that debt, they would get a receipt stamped to telesti. Paid in full. When a prisoner finished his term... He'd get a sheet of paper saying that he was done. He could go free, and that was stamped Tetelestai. It's done. When, when kings went out to battle, a commander, when he defeated another army, might cry out, Tetelestai. The war is won, but it's also a common phrase. If someone were building a, a sheep gate and he finished it, he might say, Tetelestai. When people were building a house, when they completed the house, they would shout to their village, Tatelestai. When people had been working months on crops and it came harvest time and they completed the harvest, they would yell, Tatelestai. I've got to believe when there were families with five or six kids and they're wondering, do we have another? Do we not have another? And one day that three year old just goes further and further and further, pushes mama right to the edge and she shouts out, Tatelestai, we're done. See, Jesus is declaring that it's paid for. It's completed. What is paid for? The sin debt of humanity. In the book of Colossians, Paul says it this way. He canceled the written code that stood against us. Well, what was the code that stood against us? It was the law of God. We don't keep the law perfectly. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We have failed to live as we were intended to live. And that code, that law stood against us. But but the Bible says Jesus canceled that code by nailing it to a cross. The cross that he was on so that we could be taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of darkness of God's Son. What ended that day? Three things ended that day. The sufferings of Jesus, the strongholds of sin and death, and sacrifices for sins. The sufferings of Jesus were done when he said, it is finished. The famed British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said about John 19.30, when the deity is arrayed in manhood, Manhood becomes omnipotent to even suffer, all-powerful to suffer. And just as the feet of Christ were once almighty to tread the seas, now his whole body is almighty to dive into the great waters, to endure an immersion of unknown agonies as he bore the sins of humanity. Jesus suffered for your sins and mine. He left the glory of heaven, and he lived in full obedience to the Father and suffered in our place. And when he said, it is finished, it's, it's done. Something's happening because he has suffered. Paul says it to the church in Philippi this way. He says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death On a cross, Jesus lived, tempted just as you and I are, but in full obedience to the Father. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Because he suffered and became obedient to death on a cross, God has given him this name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because he suffered. He's been given the name above all names. First Peter 3.18 says he died. He suffered once for all. The just for the unjust to bring us to God. Because he suffered, he was given a name above all names, but that's not the only reason. As he suffered, he also defeated the strongholds of sin and death. The whole world is held captive to the power of the evil one. You can look at the news to see how broken the world is, but really we all just have to look in our own hearts to see. As we were talking about what it means... That the strongholds of sin and death are defeated. This last Wednesday in our staff meeting, I asked our, our ministry leaders, What do you think it means that the strongholds of sin and death are defeated? And TJ Greason, who's a guy who's in the back a lot, making sure that everything up here is happening how it's supposed to happen, he said, Well, I think of the garden, I think of the curse. When God looks at the serpent, And says, the offspring of this woman, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. And that's what's happening. Satan's head is being crushed. Jesus' heels are pierced. Satan's head is crushed. And in his death, he inaugurates the end of the enemy. In his death, he destroys the power of Satan and sin and death. When he was nailed to a tree, sin was nailed to the tree. Well, Chase, what does that mean? Does that mean if I trust Jesus, I'll never sin or I'll never struggle with sin? Well, no, that's not what that means. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. We all struggle, but what it does mean, it means we no longer have to be under the power of sin. See, oftentimes when we talk about sin, we talk about about it in terms of things that we want to do, but we don't get to do. But I think that's really probably not the best way to think about it because the truth is sin enslaves us it encaptures us. Some of you walked in this room today angry at just about everything, and you don't want to be angry. You wish you weren't, but you are. You're held captive. Some of you woke up this morning thinking lustfully about things that you really don't even want to be thinking about, but you're carried away by your desires. You're captured by it. You wish you weren't, but you are. Some of you, you hide it really, really well, but you can't make it through the day without alcohol. You can't make it through the day without a pill. You're captured by it. You're under its power. You're enslaved. You're stuck. Maybe life feels like this. You thought that that sand that you were riding on would make a good roadway, but you're stuck, and you've tried to get out, and it just feels like the more you spin your wheels, the more you get stuck. And you're not going to get out by yourself. But Jesus came to earth and lived and died and rose from the dead to pull us out of ruts just like these. There may have been a, a stronghold in your family for generations and you just go, Chase, I can't get out of this. See, it is finished was the end of Satan's brutal reign of tyranny. The accuser was dealt a death blow when Jesus was dying on the cross. In this loud proclamation, the devil's reign of terror was being disarmed. Now Here's the reality. It is the end of the devil's reign. If we're in Christ, if you trust Christ, the penalty of sin no longer belongs to you. You receive forgiveness, freedom, and eternal life. And if you're in Christ, the power of sin no longer has to hold you captive. One day the presence of sin will be fully removed, but the reality is it is finished. Can't just be something we say on Easter because... The enemy still bites at us. He still harasses us. He still tries to accuse us. So it is finished, needs to be our daily bread. It's something we remind ourselves of daily when the enemy would bring up past sins. When we forget who we are and when we forget who we belong to, when pride wells up in our hearts, it is finished ought to be the cry. It was true then, and it's true now. Sin and death have been defeated by Jesus. So what that means is today, right now, God can change your family's history. Your your kids can have a different story because Jesus is alive in you. What is finished is the sufferings of Christ. What is finished is the strongholds of sin and death, and what is finished is a sacrifice for sins. Jesus took your place in my place. He was the sacrifice so that our sins could be forgiven. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 says it this way, that he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Well, what does that mean? Jesus entered once for all the holy places, not by the blood of bulls and calves, but by his own blood, securing an eternal redemption. Well, the Israelites, they worshiped at the temple and, and they would come... At periodic times into the temple, and, and there were different courts of the temple, but as as the courts got smaller, so did the amount of people who could go in. And then in the Holy of Holies, this most holy place, one guy enters once a year. He was the high priest, and he would take blood in with him to sprinkle it on the mercy seat or the altar to make atonement for the people. And it was done over and over and over every year. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, Jesus didn't enter with the blood of bulls and calves or goats and calves. He entered with his own blood on the cross. And he made a way so that we could all go into the presence of God. He didn't secure an annual redemption where you have to renew it once a year. He secured an eternal redemption so that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, forgiven, free forever. Jesus was a sacrifice for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 says he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to God Jesus said it this way in Mark ten forty-five. He said that the son of man didn't come to serve or didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, a sacrifice to pay for our sins. It's a huge deal because we all struggle with sin. It's the most important news the world has ever heard. Paul said it this way to the church in Corinth, I delivered to you as a first importance, Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures. All those prophecies about a Messiah that would come, that was him and he was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures and then a lot of people saw this resurrected Christ and one by one by one ended up giving their lives for the cause of Christ. There's nothing to add to it. It's finished. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, finished the work he came to do. He came to do the will of the Father and it's finished he came to seek and save the lost and it's finished he came to bear witness to the truth to destroy the works of the devil to give eternal life to bring great joy jesus came to give us the life we were intended to live in all of its fullness and purpose and beauty and flourishing and he says it is finished to tell Tetelestai, he came to bind up the brokenhearted, to reveal the glory of the Father and to reign as King. The sacrifice of Jesus changes who we are so that we're no longer defined by the wrong that we've done, but we're defined by who died in our place and who we belong to. And there's great confidence in this. Listen, our, our hope today is that you would let the good news of the gospel of grace touch every aspect of your life. That it's indeed finished, that in Christ you can be truly set free. In Christ, your guilty verdict can be done. Well, well that's true because it's finished, but that's also true because of what happened after It was finished. Jesus said, it's finished. And then he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He was in control. No one took his life. He was laying it down. When he said, it is finished, he said to the Father, I give my spirit to you and he breathed his last. Well, what happened after it is finished? Well, another gospel writer, a guy named Matthew, who was a tax collector, the most unlikely person, he was mocked and hated by the religious of his day. And Jesus called him to be a disciple. And Matthew was never the same. His life was changed. And so Matthew recorded what happened when Jesus died. And in verse 50 of Matthew chapter 27, it says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And then I want to talk about three things that happened. And the first is that the veil was torn. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Something incredible was happening in Jerusalem. It was an earth-shaking moment, both literally and figuratively, as a veil was torn. The veil was this four-inch-thick tapestry woven together in the temple from top to bottom, and it kept everybody out of the Holy of Holies. Only that high priest could go in. They couldn't come in because of their sin. There was separation between them and God. Once a year, he would go in to make atonement, but nobody else. They couldn't come in because of their sin. You, you might imagine no one could tear this veil This Pastor Tim talked last week about the triumphal entry on that sunday when jesus was coming in and the pharisees said hey stop these people from worshiping you there's this big crowd worshiping and jesus said hey, if they don't worship me rocks will cry out the crowd goes away they're going back to their business a guy goes into his booth and he says to a friend hey the messiah's in jerusalem said, what the messiah's here And he says, hey, I'll I'll believe he's a Messiah if he rips the veil of the temple in two. Well, he did. And when he did, when that veil was torn, it was this symbol that access to God was open for everyone, full and free through the blood of Jesus Christ. The veil in the temple was torn. That's not all that happened. The veil was torn, but then we're also told that there was a centurion who believed. Matthew 27, 54 says, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. And they said, Truly, this was the Son of God. See, a centurion would have overseen hundreds of troops, And a centurion would have also overseen hundreds of crucifixions. It was as common as it was brutal as a form of execution in the Roman Empire. And this centurion would have seen lots of people crucified, but he never saw anyone being crucified asking God to forgive those who were crucifying him. He had never seen anyone look at a a common criminal next to him and say, Today you'll be with me in paradise. He might have heard cries of agony, but no one would have had the mental capacity to look at his mom and his friend and go take care of one another. Or to begin worshiping God by quoting a psalm. But that's what he saw in Jesus. And he said, truly, this man is a son of God. And Luke records it and says a centurion praised God and said, surely this man was innocent. others saw, and they just went home sorrowful. They saw the same thing, but they had a different reaction. Some see the message of the cross, and they're sorry, and some see the message of the cross, and they're saved because Jesus proves what God said 700 years before he came to earth. In Isaiah chapter 45, God said, Turn to me, all you into the earth, and be saved, for I am God, and there is no other. Jesus suffered for sins. He stopped the strongholds of sin and death. He ended the sacrificial system. And it was so utterly amazing that the veil in the temple was torn. And and a centurion, a Roman soldier said, "Oh, I, I believe. I believe Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead and he's coming again. Revelation 1.7 says that those who pierced him will see him. Whatever you do with this, you can't take it as just some light claim because it's not. People were killed for this claim. The claim of resurrection I mean, nobody can really make except Jesus and people make odd claims all the time yesterday uh, my my wife and I wanted to spend a little bit of time with our boys and we decided it was a good idea to get out of our house because there had been lots of rain and I don't know if you're aware but the rain could not or the house could not con- contain our energy quite well so we decided to go to an establishment with toys and let them spend some Christmas money and as we we're in this establishment that a guy starts walking up and down the aisles and he's just making odd claims now he wasn't making resurrection type claims but he was making weird claims about who he was and what he could do for us and I'm I was a little bit nervous and it I kind of just stopped and thought okay this is what happened when you eat those interesting gummies people talk about right and so in the middle of that I I did what any brave man with his kids would do. I texted my wife and said, hey, I'm a little bit scared. You want to come over here? <laughs> Listen, when somebody makes claims like this, you've got to decide what you're going to do with them. Are these the claims of just a common liar searching for glory and he just owned his lie all the way to death? And then his disciples owned that lie all the way to their deaths. Was was it just a crazy man who said things like, however you want people to treat you, you treat them the same way. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Forgive over and over and over again. Love your neighbor as yourself. Was it a crazy man that said these things? Or is this, in fact, the gospel, the good news that the world needs to hear? People can react to Jesus in such different ways. I've got a a family member, a little bit older than me. I love him like a brother. And I've been able to share the good news about Jesus with him, golly, at least a hundred times. And you know, he's never trusted Christ. There are other people in this very room that I've shared with, or out in the lobby I've shared with, or just in our city I've shared with, and the first time they hear the message, they believe. You never know how someone's going to respond or when someone is going to believe. I want to ask you today, as we close our time together, do you believe? Now I want to ask it really maybe this way. Is it finished? Is it finished? Oh, the work of Christ is finished. He died and rose from the dead, and he'll return to take home all those who trust in him. But as you're running is your wrestling, is your wandering, is your striving done? Would you just really want to say to the Father today, hey, I'm, I'm done trying to do this on my own. It's, it's finished. I, I need Jesus. I need you to forgive me. I need you to give me life. That's the very thing some have already said this weekend if we as we've worshiped together. Are you sure that your sins have been forgiven? Have you trusted Jesus to be your Savior and Lord? And for others of you, have, have you just kind of stepped away? You know Christ, but but you're just frankly not living like it. And today, as you remember the resurrection story, you just say, it's time for me to come home. It's time for me to return. The way our, our service ends by us singing a song to God about Jesus together and we're about to do that. And as we do that, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to be up front. Another one of our pastors is going to be here with me and we would love to visit with you. If today you want to say, Hey, I want to trust Jesus to be my savior and my King today. I want to, I want to come back to him. If there's any other prayer need that you have, we'll be glad to pray with you. What we're going to do is is I'm going to pray and we're going to stand. And when we stand, you're welcome to just step out and come. Don't worry about people you might have to step by. They'll be glad to move out of your way. Don't worry that you'll keep your family or friends waiting. They'll be glad to wait. If there's this opportunity for you to respond to the living God today, would you bow with me? Father, I I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be working in our hearts and lives, working in the lives of believers that we might remember it is finished and we might walk in that freedom. God, I pray the Holy Spirit would open eyes that are darkened to you, that the Holy Spirit would turn people from darkness to light and stir in their hearts for them to believe today. And to put their hope fully and freely in Jesus. God, I pray for others. That they know you and they want to follow you and they've just been running. That today they might say, it is finished. I'm done. I'm coming home. God, whatever business we might need to do with you today, Father, let us do it in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.